Welcome on in. This is the inaugural. How do you say that? The inaugural. Inaugural. That's a tough word to say. This is the first (laughs) podcast between two veteran radio guys. I'm PK, and sitting right next to me is my man, Gordon Monson, and we're going to start a podcast, and we're going to demand that you listen to it. First off, we've got a few topics we need to discuss. We need to come up with a name for our podcast. Do you have any suggestions? Do I have a suggestion? I, I already have. You already came up with a winner, PK. <laughs> we can allow the people to have some suggestions. If you want to email us, you can reach me at pkinahan at uh, 1280thezone.com. Twitter, we're available, pkkinahan. At Gordon and, Monson. And yours is just simply at Gordon Monson. Yep. Yeah, I think mine was already taken, so I had to go with the P.K. Kinahan. Patrick Kinahan. It's a big name in, in uh, Ireland, not so much in the U.S. Kinahan, yeah. Yes, So like is. the Jones of uh, yeah. the Isle? I understand there's a cartel in Ireland called the Kinahan Cartel, <laughs> and it is basically the Irish Mafia. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Uh, but uh, it's not this big, uh, the name Kinahan, you're virtually almost every one of us is going to be related to each other in the U.S., There's some in Canada to the point, this is a true story, I'm down for Weezy the Whack, Mountain West, or Pac-12 tournament, and it must have been the Mountain West basketball tournament, and I'm staying at the MGM, where they used to have the media stay, and I kept getting these calls to my room, and I'd pick them up, and they were for Patrick Kinahan, and they were... Obviously, they weren't intended for me. And it turned out there was another guy in the MGM with the same name as me. And I had to tell the people downstairs to make sure that they were directing the phone call to the right Patrick Kinahan. And I called the guy and said, hey, what's going on? And he's from Canada. And we found some Kinahans. My parents actually had, when they were living in Phoenix, somebody went through the phone book, saw a Kinahan, called them back when people had phone books and had landlines. I don't even have a landline anymore. And they talked. My father talked. And they were from Canada. So I think that that. But over in Ireland, the yes. The name Patrick, a, too. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah that's probably like uh, you know, John Smith. Pretty much, yes. So my is P.K. Kinahan. But back to our names. Do you have any suggestions? If you have any suggestions, I'm not sold on the one I came up with, but if... It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You think it is? Yeah, it's better. I mean, <laughs> I was thinking maybe the right way of thinking or the wrong way of thinking, but uh, I think uh, yours is, uh, is better. Well, we're a religious community, and you're a religious man. Me, not so much. <laughs> but... Hey, man. I thought... As the Germans say, wir sind alle in der gleiche Suppe, which means... We're all in the same soup. Okay, well, as the Italians say, up yours. <laughs> because I'm half Irish, half Italian. My mother's full-blood Italian. My father was full-blooded Irish. And I grew up a lot in the Italian community of New Jersey in the Oranges, where my mother had uh, nine siblings. And several of them, my mother's gone, but several of them are still living to the point my sister just went back to New Jersey a couple of weeks ago and celebrated with my Uncle Sonny his 98th birthday. All right. And all of his eight children were there. He survived all the mob hits? Yeah. Well, he actually, a Purple Heart, he was uh, shipwrecked in the ocean for a few days in World War II. A very... Uh, Where? Uh, somewhere in the South Pacific, somewhere. I don't wow. know. He does not talk about it. Mm. 
but it was a very uh, harrowing experience for him way back when, obviously in the uh, early 40s uh, during that time. So well, strong, yes. silent types, right? I yes, mean, they definitely. don't like to talk about the war. Right. I don't blame them. No. I mean, I've never been in a war like that, but uh, that uh, that greatest generation, man, they uh, they got stories to tell and don't necessarily like to revisit no. them. I've never been in any form of a war. I've been in a few battles, but uh, <laughs> no wars. No You're real in a wars. battle every morning. Yes, I'm trying to work with DJ, which is why we're doing this podcast. Give yourself... Give yourselves, the listeners, another opportunity to hear us in a different setting. You and I only substitute together maybe, you know, five, six, seven times a year, depending on vacation relief. Uh, But podcasting is the wave of the future. And so if you have a name, don't hesitate to suggest it. Now, we started this thing off. You were given the this is your life, PK's life. Uh, Which side of the family, which uh, ethnicity has uh, taken hold of you more than the other, the Irish or the Italian? It's for me, it's absolutely the Italian because my Irish grandfather, now both grandfathers came over and went through Ellis Island. You go to Ellis Island, you'll see John J. Kinahan on the wall. Oh, cool. You'll also see Elmer Ciamillo, which is my grandfather. Both of them came from their respective countries, obviously Ireland and Italy, right? Both of my grandmothers are my grandmother, Mary Ellen, is was their deceased now obviously they were she was a full-blooded irish woman married john my grandfather but was born in the u.s my grandmother carmela Polsietto, born in the u.s married an italian uh and so we have FBI going on here. My mother used to say, so my mother, consequently, and all of her siblings are full-blooded Italian. She would tell you many, many times over, no less than 30 times a day, she was an FBI, which is full-blooded Italian. Mm. At her... Proud of it. Oh, most, most definitely. At her funeral, I spoke, and it was a mass, and obviously they're Catholic, and I had said, I brought up the FBI, well, the priest who was conducting the mass after I got done, he said where he was from, which was Ireland, FBI met foreign-born Irish. Uh. So we had that both going on. <laughs> but my grandfather, John, on the Irish side, died when I was two. And then my grandmother moved to Brooklyn, into New York. Not that it was that far, but for whatever reason, they they didn't live that as close as the Italian side. My two sisters, who are much older than me, 10 and 12 years, they have extensive memories of being with the Irish side. I don't. Mine are almost exclusively with the Italian side. So I identify far more with the Italian, even though the name obviously is Irish, although one day, hopefully, I would like to visit Ireland along, of course, with Italy, because I have... You know, never been to Italy? I have never oh, been to PK, Europe. Oh, it is fantastic there, man. And I hear the same thing about Ireland, so right. you got two good places to go. Since we're giving genealogy here, I mean, I got Swedish on one side and English on the other, and to show you the diversity here, somebody told me once that my line goes back, my ancestral line goes back on one side to a king of England. Really? And on the other side to a horse thief. So <laughs> That's an interesting combination. Yeah, so I'm somewhere in the middle, I guess. Maybe edging toward the latter. Anyway. Horses played a big factor in my life growing up. 
Now, not in terms of riding them or going to the ranch, but going to the track. <laughs> you spent a lot of time there as a oh, kid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And when I lived in New York, now, for those of you who don't know, I spent the first 14 years of my life in New Jersey, uh, less than 20 miles away from New York City. So it's northern New Jersey, right where the Sopranos were filmed. <laughs> Perfect. I, I literally have walked those places. That book, I think it was Bob Devaney of the NBA referee, who was uh, undercover police for the mob. He talks about going to certain restaurants in a town called Persephone, which was the town that I grew up in. And so I had been to those places that he spoke of. And with the Sopranos, uh, all the exterior stuff that was filmed in Jersey, that's literally where I was. And I'm not one of these guys who glamorizes the mob, as some people do. It's just I watched the Sopranos for the intricacies of the Italian customs way of living, not so much the violence and the killing and whatnot, but the way they lived with the large families getting together and the constant sarcasm and all those types of things. That literally was my upbringing. So what did you think of the final episode of The Sopranos when they're sitting in the diner and uh, sure. And uh, what's his name? Tony. Tony looks up, and yeah. then the screen goes black. What? What's that all about? Now I've heard theories that it is the viewer who gets assassinated and goes to dark. We called it whacked, but uh, if you want the official assassination term, sure. I thought it left a lot to be desired, but at the same time, it was an epic series, so pretty much whatever they were going to do was going to leave it open to interpretation and criticism. There was no way around it. You could not end it in a manner that was going to be universally accepted. It was always going to be debated, criticized, uh, commended, did all sorts of emotion depending on whatever the individual who was viewing that series thought of at that time. How does it end? It normally in those situations it doesn't end particularly well. Uh, we saw that the two uh, epic mob movies in my mind. Well, Godfather one and two. So those Hard to two, yeah. and then Goodfellas. Ah. Those were the. The two different ones, Goodfellas was only one, but those two watched, and I can virtually recite them verbatim, those lines from those movies, because I've seen them so much. And it reminds me of the families that I grew up in, and I was exposed to a little bit of the uh, tawdry side, but again, I was only 14. Did you have uh, friends or neighbors or family members who were mobbed up? I was aware. Uh. To the extent, I don't know. I don't know if there were involved with killings and whatnot. Certainly, the illegal gambling was extremely big. Mm -hmm. Gambling, to this day in my family, I have two sisters still living, is like the number one form of recreation. Absolutely. One thing our listeners might not know, PK, you and I have been friends for a long time, but we grew up not that far away from each other. You were in Jersey. I was in Delaware. And at one point, we were both Philadelphia Philly fans. We've probably been at the same stadium at the same time, like, forever ago. But yes. anyway, it's kind of funny. Two East Coast guys who end up in Utah and uh, having a good time here, man. We've been here for – we moved here at the same time. You know, I think we started at the Tribune, the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, the same day. 
Yeah, I started uh. the first Monday in August of 1993. Mm. Yeah. Worked there 14 years, and then obviously uh, quit and have been doing the electronic stuff ever since. Although I still consider myself, at heart, a print journalist. And it pains me to see how the industry has struggled the way it has. But nevertheless, that's the world in which we live in. But yeah, and we both came here via Los Angeles. That's true, and too. So there is a lot of the way life works is very, uh, it's somewhat entertaining. And it's an odd road that many of us have traveled. Most of us have traveled roads that we never thought we would go down. And then we find ourselves in certain situations. And yeah, I've lived here so since 93. And I had no experience. I did not go to school in Utah or anything else. I had very little experience with Utah. I had been through here on the way to Jackson Hole, Wyoming a couple of times. And that was the extent. But never the twin, the, this Tribune called and offered me employment, and I thought it was a good idea. And then here we are, what would that be, 26, 26. years yeah. later. So it's been yeah. a good run. Yeah, Hopefully it has it's got a, a few more run. years before it's over. Both on the air and off. But Depending uh, on what happens with this podcast. If this podcast is a hit, maybe they'll allow me to do more. If it stinks, then maybe I'm done. I don't know. Uh, I doubt that. <laughs> I think you've got a lot of years ahead of you. But let's start with uh, a topic that uh, we think might be of interest to our listeners here. Utah and BYU, they start the college football season off against one another. On, what is that, August 29, I believe? Yes, on that Thursday. Down at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Six weeks. And PK, when, when we were down for BYU's football media day, uh, that's all those players were talking about. Not the only thing, but it was on their minds, as it should be, since it's been... What, since the era of King Tut, since the Cougars <laughs> have beaten the Utes? But it's on their mind. They are really aiming at that game. So my question to you, and I have a thought on it, but to which team is that game more important? Uh, a lot of people might say BYU because it's been so long since they've beat the Utes. And this is an intense rivalry, as you all know. On the other hand, the Utes are being projected as having a truly extraordinary, a potentially extraordinary season. And if they lose this game coming out of the gate, that is, that 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 could be uh, that could be a killer for the, some of their goals. It could be a killer for some of those goals. I'll address what you just said most recently. I think that for Utah, though, they still have everything in front of them. The way it's set up is that conference games really matter. And if the Utes win the division, go to the Pac-12 title game and win that, I refer it back to the the Sun Devils. I went to Arizona State. Most people know that. Moved from New Jersey to Phoenix in time for high school. And then so sort of have two homes. And then the third would be the L.A. area where I lived. And then fourth is here. Uh, the, year, the first year, I was over in L.A. for one year. And the Devils, for my first full year, they win the conference. Now, there was no division at that point. You win the conference, you go to the Rose Bowl, right? They finished with a record, and they won the Rose Bowl. They beat Michigan. Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback. I was at that game. I was at that game, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was a fan. I was not covering it. I've covered games there many, many times. But this year, that particular year, I was just a fan. And just loving it, because it was my alma mater with the Sun Devils. And the... Devils that year finished 10-1-1. And And the one loss was to Arizona. Oh, that's a kick in the teeth. But looking back, I don't remember jack about that game. Now, they had clinched 
before that game. So they usually play at the end of the season, right? They had clinched the conference in 1986 because it was the 87 January 1 Rose Bowl. So in 1986, they clinched the conference. They beat Cal like the second week in November. So mathematically, they won the division, right? So then they've got to play the U of A. And they lose that game. But looking back, I don't care that they lost that game, which is very rare for me to say. They lost perfection, though, PK. But they'd already had a tie. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So the fact that, and I see a lot of parallels between what the Utes can accomplish this season and what the Sun Devils accomplished in 86. And I believe, too, interestingly, it was their ninth year in the conference. Utes are going yeah. to their ninth year. Might have been the eighth, but I think it was very close. So they got there, and winning the Rose Bowl was the pinnacle. And being there January 1 in that glorious setting that you've been many times, and your wife grew up down the street, so you know of it, and you've been there many times over as a fan and as a professional, as I have, that was the pinnacle. And so having lost Arizona, if you told me going into this season right now the Sun Devils can win the division, win the conference, have one loss. Obviously, they wouldn't have a tie. Have one loss, go to the Rose Bowl, win it, but that loss has to be the U of A. Would you take it? Yes, I would. Yeah, but PK, better to aim for the stars and sure. land in the trees than to aim for the trees and land in the mud. And I mean, I've, been, I've lived my life in the mud. <laughs> That's who I am. In horsing parlance, I'm a mudder. That's what they call horses when the track is raining that day if they're a mutter. I'm a mutter. But here's my thing. I mean, if you're going to aim big, uh, do you think the Utes could lose to the Cougars and then still, uh, obviously they could qualify for the Rose Bowl, but could they qualify for a national playoff? No, but see, I think that the Pac-12, the national playoff, it's not coming from Salt Lake City. It's just not. They would have to go 13-0. and zero. That's the, my point. But, but they're not going to go 13-0. Well, this team is that good, they, they could. They're not going to go 13 just, and zero. just because you think there's too many landmines in the Pac-12? Yes. It has nothing to do with lack of talent from Utah's perspective. It has to do – the Pac-12 is usually the most evenly competed conference. You could have a team at the bottom beat somebody at the top. It happens, I've said this many times, there's two, three, four head scratchers every year in this conference. There's rarely that in the SEC. There's rarely that in the Big Ten. And are there's you rarely that in the Big Are you 12. suggesting that the Pac-12 then is better than those conferences top to bottom? No. They're just well, more then why evenly is it so, competitive. Why is it so, well, I don't say it's easy, but why is it easier for the, 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 the best team in the SEC to go undefeated as opposed to the best team in the Pac-12? Because they have all the talent. The talent in the SEC is top-heavy. The conference is top-heavy. It Vander, is top Vanderbilt's heavy, but not beating but, anybody but at the But we're talking top. about going undefeated here, so that's included if you're Alabama. It's including well, Auburn and Ole Miss and every other team. Right, but the fact is in the SEC, to get to the national playoff, you do not have to go True. undefeated. True. In the Pac-12, 
I believe you're going to have to go undefeated. The odds are stacked against the Pac-12, and they'll be continued to be stacked against okay, the Pac-12. So, so the other day, I walked into uh, the, uh, an office of a friend of mine, and up on the wall was a pennant that had University of Utah football, and it had the records the two undefeated seasons. Now, I get it. I get it. Those were in the Mountain West Conference as a different animal. Where they had four or five games you could take off every season. But those teams might have been good enough. No, they weren't. Don't think so. Not at all. Not to go undefeated in the Pac-12. Nope. Nope. I do not think so. They would have not have gone undefeated. They is, were great teams, okay. but they're not going undefeated. Okay, the why is that? Were they in good the enough to go undefeated, first... or do you think it was just because of what you said? The bottom drops off somewhere along the line. The Pac-12. You look at Colorado this year. Will be picked to finish sixth in the Pac-12 South. Yeah. Right. Utes will be first. Colorado will be sixth. There'll be any number between two and five. But you can be assured, Utes will be one, Colorado will be sixth. Colorado, I can make a strong argument, goes into the season with the best combination of quarterback-receiver. Montez is a senior quarterback, been around. He's only like 12 and 14, but he's a potential pro. Chenault, the receiver, is this year's version of Nikhil Harry, the great receiver from Arizona State. They may not win a lot of games, but they're going to beat some teams. You do not have that in the Mountain West when Utah was going undefeated, a crummy team being that good at those two positions. You do not have that in the SEC. I don't think you have that in the Big Ten either. But you can have it in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is known as a quarterback receiver skill position league where they put in guys. There was a couple years back, several years now, the Oregon State team came in, beat the Utes, and they had an NFL quarterback – and a, a Mannion, Sean Mannion, and they had an NFL receiver in Brandon Cooks. They weren't a good team, but they came in and beat the Utes. The Utes are in a much better position now as a program. I get it. But my point is, they weren't a good team, but yet they had an NFL quarterback, not a star, but he's on an NFL roster. He was with the Rams last year. And Brandon Cooks has been with some very good teams. So that's what you get in this conference. So expecting any team, I don't care who it is, to go undefeated is very, very difficult. And for the Pac-12 to get into the playoff, it virtually requires an unbeaten season. So expecting the Utes to go undefeated, I think, is unrealistic. So yes, they can accomplish all their realistic goals by losing to BYU, even with a loss to BYU, because it's been done before. The Devils got to the Rose Bowl, won it, and lost to their rivals. Conference game, but still. When you have a collection of talent like the Utes do this year, and it's substantial. I mean, that's agreed upon nationally. They might have some holes they have to fill here and there, but man, they've got a lot, and they're deep, and this is an opportunity. I'm just, I, I, I just think that the Utes, this game against BYU might be really important for them because you want to get off on the right foot. And I understand they have a mentally tough coach in Kyle Whittingham and whatnot, and they have some senior leadership on that team. 
But think about what they have at quarterback. Tyler Huntley, this guy's a great athlete. You've got the best running back potentially in the, in the entire conference. You've got uh, a, that defensive front, three of whom at least will be in the NFL. Uh, and, and then you got that defense, the they get that defensive you, secondary. What are you arguing? You're arguing with yourself. No, they'll no, win I'm, the game. I'm, I'm just telling they'll you. They'll win the freaking game. I'm just telling you, PK, that they have, a, they have the potential to do then more. Then there's no worry. They'll roll over the Cougars. Cougars haven't beaten them since when? King Pharaoh or somebody you said? Who knows who? Jesus walked the earth back then? Is that was the last time? King Pharaoh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. A, I told you I'm not a religious man. You are. <laughs> King Pharaoh. Yes. Is that in the Bible somewhere? I don't know. I don't... There's a whole bunch of books there. I need to open that thing one I'm of these days. I'm just saying if you're that good, and then, then man, you got to shoot for those Fine. stars. So you better not stub your toe coming out of the gate. You okay. just you can't do you that. You could lose and not stub your toe, but I get your point. If they, but if they, again, it depends on what your goals are. Obviously, the number one goal is the Pac-12 championship. Uh, Kyle Whittingham learned that from Lavelle Edwards. It was always the number one goal, regardless of anything else that happened. He's in the Pac-12, not any old whack. I get that. Or the Mountain West Conference, it's much bigger. It's much tougher. I understand that. But this team with this collection of athletes can do something really special this year. Going to the Rose Bowl would be that in and of itself. If I had one wish for you fans, it would be that their team could make it to the Rose Bowl for all the reasons you already talked about. Yeah, there's nothing like it. It is spectacular. It really is. It's the greatest of them all. It is. I've been to virtually every bowl game. And the granddaddy is the best. Yeah, it, I agree with that. And you have all the pomp and circumstance that goes with it, along with the parade. And people give me a hard time about the parade. I've been to that parade many times. I'm not a big parade guy. I love that parade. A million people lined up along the streets in Pasadena for that. Really, really cool. Uh, and it tugs at my heart a little bit. My wife's high school graduation was in the Rose Bowl. You've played Glendale. I mean, you played does. Um, Brookside Golf Course before, haven't you? Yes. Where everybody parks, and we all hit oh, golf geez. balls into yeah, the stadium. And when I was living down there, I would park for another reason in the Rose Bowl parking lot before I got married. And, and what was that? Oh, man. I mean, this is actually, you know, the FCC can't really limit us, but you get the point here. This is a podcast. They have no rules over us. But, All right, Don Juan. <laughs> anyway, it would be terrific if the Utes could get there. And they can but, get but, there but, by but losing to BYU. But if they're good enough to get to the Rose Bowl, they might be good enough to do even more. The conference, the system won't allow it. It just won't allow it. Don't don't hold your breath on that. They're going to. They're not going to go into the Tyler Huntley's not that good. He's just not that good. He's not an NFL quarterback. He's not that good. He's not going to go undefeated. Their offense is still middle of the road. We can go nuts on their offense. Kyle Whittingham is who he is. What do you Lo- think? The love weak, the guy dearly. What, what is the weak spot in that offense? Well, right the now, receivers they, they, or the offensive line. They have to repair the offensive line a little bit, and Huntley has to stay healthy. And they've got a bunch of receivers, but none of them stand out. You need standout guys. You need guys to go make plays. And we've seen repeatedly, not only do they not make plays, they blow plays they should make. They don't make great plays. They blow plays that are routine plays. But because that's been the track record in the past doesn't mean it'll necessarily be what happens this time. Yeah, I know. And I hope for their sake not. It just would be a shame if the Utes were all that good enough to get to the Rose Bowl and then they lose to BYU right out of Oh, I would take it. I would take it every year. This game means the world to BYU. It's their season. And all you BYU fans who disagree, you are full of crap. 
this is their season, and the tide has changed now. Used to be it was Utah season, I guess, before I got here. But when I got here, McBride was building a program, and so the program, by and large, has been pretty good for the time that I've been here. Certainly way better than it used to be in the 80s, and I knew nothing. I knew nothing about Utah football. BYU now, this is your season. Your season is going to be judged by about five games. The first four, and then Boise and Utah State. So you got six games. You got to go three and three in those games for this season to mean anything. So they have been, they break their huddles in spring ball with beat Utah. This game means way more to BYU yeah, than it does to Utah. They're definitely talking about it more. On the other hand, Kyle Whittingham, and you know Kyle as well as anyone, PK, he, he hates this game, first of all, but he would hate even more to lose it. It would, it would kick sure, him it, right in the onions. It would, but they still have nine conference games, and every one of them is more important than this game. Every single one of them. Hmm. Every single one of them. I don't well, care. Oregon State is more important than this game. The lowest of the low. Colorado, the two teams that will be picked sixth in each division, means more than this game. Because it's all about getting to the Rose Bowl. Yes. For these guys, if they go 7-2 and two in conference, win the division, win the conference, they're probably at that point 10-2, smashing success. And then if they cap it off with a Rose Bowl win, that's even better. You know, PK, we talked about how you and I have been here for 26 years, and we have witnessed the change in power from BYU football to Utah football. I remember talking to people who used to say, I'm a University of Utah basketball fan and a BYU football fan. Which is ridiculous. You front-runner homer. Get out of my face. Yeah, there were a lot of people who thought that way, but, man, the power in football has shifted completely to Utah. They have better athletes. They have more better athletes. More better athletes. And, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you, they are you won writing awards? And they're on the rise. BYU, we've seen them sort of just – become mediocre. Now, what's being asked of BYU is more difficult. These schedules they're playing now are much more difficult than what uh, Lavelle Edwards had to of face. Course. I mean, if if Kalani Sataki could coach a team against some of the schedules that Lavelle Edwards was playing, he'd have winning uh, uh, records every single year, and his job wouldn't be threatened. That's true, but I think on the flip side – if Lavelle Edwards coached against this schedule, he'd have better records than Bronco and Kalani have had. Because he's a better coach than they were. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. And he had better talent. And maybe you can argue, well, that's because the academic standards weren't as rigorous and the honor code was looked the other way. There's all factors that go into it, and I, I will accept all of those. But nevertheless... Lavelle Edwards had more talent in his program. If you judge talent by the number of NFL guys, which is not the be-all, end-all, he sent far more guys to the NFL. That's well, maybe he had it, more talent because more talent was allowed into the school, which is what, what you I'm alluded saying. to. Yes. I understand and, and that. And some of that talent wasn't being siphoned off by Utah and these other programs that are now heavily recruiting the LDS athlete and don't think twice about recruiting the LDS athlete. I've had personal discussions with David Shaw about this when we go to Pac-12 Media Day. He likes the, uh, he likes the Mormon boys. He lives it? here practically, yes. He comes here every year. He told me one time, this was off the air, and he looked at me, he said, you tell those people I'm coming to Utah, <laughs> and I'm coming to Utah often, so they better get used to it. <laughs> and he has. Yes, he has. He's plucked, I mean, he's, and in Washington, getting uh, Nakua, 
Nakua's younger brothers, the younger brother whose brother played at BYU, Kai, and the other one here is a receiver at Utah. He's going to Washington. Ty Jones, two other receivers from Washington. That didn't happen so much back in Lavelle's day. And I'm not saying it necessarily would have happened now. I think people tend to downgrade Lavelle Edwards' accomplishments by, oh, yeah, he played an easier schedule. Fine. But that's not to say he wouldn't have had maybe not the same success, but I believe in my heart he'd have more success if he was the head coach in an independent schedule with the coaching staff that he had then now which that last point is really important when you have the norm chows of the world the mike holmgrens the ted tolners on and on yeah i mean he had some great Uh, fred whittingham and they yeah and they sent guys to the nfl i wonder what needs to happen in order for byu to get its football program to where it once was now they're playing tougher schedules they're going up against these uh you know i mean like you mentioned uh, six, at least six, maybe seven, really, really tough opponents this year, or at least potentially so. So what do they have to do to prepare themselves to be able to compete against a schedule like that or to win nine or ten games? Nobody's expecting that this year. What is the over-under, six and a half on wins for BYU? I think it's a little low, but yeah. And uh, I've for, even for seen Utah, it it's nine, nine and a half, something right. like that. You know, so I mean, what – what what can Kalani Sitake do? I mean, there are those who believe his job is on the line this year, PK, that he needs to have a good showing this year in order to be extended. So it's a little late to say, hey, recruiting, you got to recruit better. He's got to get it done now. Everybody has to get it done now. Uh, yes, unless you're, it's your first year. But even those guys, the three new coaches that were hired last year in the Pac-12, this will be their second season. They got to get it done now. They got to show some form of progress. You don't have time anymore. Too much is at stake. You got three years tops. And because he had that 4-9 season, it was awful that people are looking at his job being in jeopardy. If they have another, they won't play 13 games this year because they played the Hawaii game that year. If he has a 3-9 and nine season, his job is in May jeopardy. Yeah. There's no question about that. But I'm, I'm expecting a 3-9. and nine. If they find a way to get seven wins, I think it'll be just fine. If they find a way to get eight wins, that's a great season. Yeah. If they get nine wins, then give them a lifetime contract. Uh, BYU has a whole bunch of issues, and we've been doing this podcast now for, what, 30 minutes? And if we want to break down BYU's issues, tune in for the next five hours. <laughs> because it is going to be very, very difficult to break it down in the remaining time. We don't want to go too long here, another 10 minutes or so, but they have a lot of issues that Kalani Sataki is not responsible for, but yet he's being held responsible for. Yeah. BYU, and I've had a number, as you have, BYU, hardcore BYU fans, people in the know, people with influence are saying to me, and probably to you too, BYU needs to figure out what it wants to be. It no longer can be a big time football program playing with a half-assed budget and a half-assed attitude. It's not going to fly anymore. You do get what you pay for. Yes, and they need to figure out... And I'm not talking about paying players. They need to figure out where are they going to be because their way is outdated and great. It's noble and it has all the purity in the world. Fine. And it's going to get you six, seven wins and in a good season it's going to get you eight wins. But I wonder if we have witnessed the demise of that program. No. Uh, to the, to no. The, not, I'm talking, not about the extinguishing of the program. I'm talking about will it ever be talked about as nationally relevant again? Well, I think there's opportunities. 
uh, to the level that they were? No, they won a national title, so they're not winning a they national to, title. They, they've scheduled these games against the tougher opponents, and they have to win these games. Of course, you it's said the only way three. to go. That would be terrific this year, but they have to get better athletes and more of them. Right now, they're not getting those guys. Like when you were talking about Lavelle Edwards, I mean, he was sending – first-round draft picks and quarterbacks to the NFL. That hasn't happened in a long, long time. So that's just indicative of what needs to take place. And I don't know whether that's a matter of finding uh, fresh-faced, scripture-reading, you know, athletes out there who want to that influence in their lives and come and kick butt on the field, or whether the fact that those opportunities exist at universities all around the country now who have LDS institutions, institutes alongside. You look at Utah. I mean, if you want that kind of experience, you can go to Utah and get it. If you want that kind of experience at any team, at any school in the Pac-12, you can have that influence in your life. BYU no longer has a hold on those LDS athletes. And so if they got every if they got almost every good quality LDS athlete in the country and they're recruiting they might be able to compete at a very very high level but that's a lot harder to do or to say than do yeah I don't don't think they're going to do they need to get their fair share and they need to find some diamonds in the rough that's that's just the way it is they're going to have to find guys and develop them I think that they need to allow Kalani time I think he's got the right staff that staff was forced upon him in the beginning and it was not the right staff the staff now is the right staff under the Uh, parameters that they have. They still don't play very well compared to what some other people are making out there for sure. But the staff is greatly improved over what they had the first go around, particularly on offense. And they're going to, they can find a way to be competitive. I'm not forecasting the demise of BYU football compared to winning a national title and winning eight, nine conference titles in a row. Probably so unless well, obviously they got to get back into conference, but I think they have improved the talent and we'll see it this year. I think we'll see a competitive level of football that they will play. And then they've, they've just got to loosen up some stuff. You know, I had a, 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 a someone told me a couple years back, and I've said this on the air, that 20 minutes before the game, a great player was told he had to shave. Yeah. Knock that crap off. Yeah. Just stop with that. Yeah. Give me a break. That Tell him he needs to shave by Monday morning. Yeah. But don't tell him 20 minutes before when he's getting in game mode and he's focusing and you're 20 minutes away from kickoff and you're in your home stadium. Loosen that stuff up. That's, Find that's ways. antiquated BS. Yeah. Yes. It's all about public relations. Yeah. And, just and nobody stupid. cares. The, the, the BYU has this reputation of, well, we've got to be squeaky clean. And in the process, you're making yourself look squeaky odd. Mm. Just be normal. Be normal. Find ways to help kids, not punish them. And you're going to have that honor code, and you're not going to do away with it. So I'm not going to sit here and waste anybody's time by saying do away with the honor code. That's not going to happen. But find ways which where you can just update it and be a little more current. It, it's funny. You can't have your facial hair go nuts, but you could, your body could be entirely tattooed, which is more outrageous. You know, and I've had coaches complain to me about that, too. So where's your emphasis? There is the challenge. PK uh, uh, lays out for BYU. Be normal. Right. Be 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 more normal. 
And there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying change your whole identity because you some of you get off on, oh, BYU's different. Fine, you're different, and you're also a six-win team. As long as you're happy with being different in a six-win team, well, then you're good to go. But if you want more, you're going to have to loosen it up a little bit. And, and Which fi- is the way it was when Lavelle yeah. was coach. And find know. ways to get back to that. That is the frame You're not going to embarrass him. Don't, don't embarrass the university. They had before Bronco took over, they were embarrassing the university. And then Bronco came in and was a preacher because they told him to. And he did all that. And Kalani, I had another I had a coach tell me, man, Kalani sounds more like Bronco when he's 4-9 and than when he's 9-4. and four. Yeah, because you have to preach all that stuff. Kalani's the right guy for the job for the time being. I agree. And, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. There's other guys out there, LDS guys, including on the staff of Utah, who might surprise you, who would be interested in being a head coach down at BYU. Uh, but let them get more experience and let Kalani do his thing here. I think they've got a good enough team to, to be competitive this year. And we'll find out right out that I don't think they have any choice but to schedule difficult as long as they're independent. They have to try. You go to the Utah thing shoot for undefeated. For BYU, they're not going to be undefeated, obviously. They're never going to be undefeated in September. But shoot for it, because beating Chico State isn't going to do you any good. But find a way to beat Wisconsin as you did last year. That got you a little bit of a buzz. Yeah. And, you know, you beat Arizona last year. Mangum walks away. His career didn't develop the way he wanted it, I'm sure. But he walks away from a senior year, having beaten Arizona and Wisconsin out on the road. That's, you know, they weren't great teams, but they're still named programs, particularly Wisconsin. I was at that game, and, you know, Wisconsin Watson's Rob institution and the atmosphere. I've been to Alabama. I've been to Notre Dame. Wisconsin is right. They've been to LSU. Wisconsin is right there with anybody. And they walked out of that stadium with a win. Yeah. Find ways to do that. You, yeah. don't, you don't need a bunch of them mm-hmm. to be at least They'll never be relevant to the level that they were, but they can be pertinent and they can sell it to recruits. So I think they're a lot closer than we think. And this freshman quarterback, now a sophomore, Zach Wilson, has the potential. They brought in some grad transfers and see if they can produce on the ground and and just continue to get your big Mormon boys up front on the offensive line like you do. And that's a good group up there. Yeah, yeah. And they've all got experience now. And James Empey's in the middle and he's looking like he's a professional player when he gets to be of the opportunity to play in the NFL and they might and actually I've had uh, off the Grimes I've talked to him about it and Kalani and A-Rod they believe they've got more than one pro up there and so that's good that's a good starting point so I'm optimistic for their season and if they can cash in to a seven and eight win season combined with a bowl win then you got something to sell and you can build upon it and you're on to something so I think they're closer to being pertinent more than we think and we haven't even brought up really too much anything about independence just the fact that they don't play in a conference right now and we'll see how that goes moving forward Tom Holmo is still looking toward the future a little bit however that's a tough uh road to hoe we'll see how that goes yeah i think that in time they'll get where they need to be in a conference their program is just too good they sell too much they have too much going for it i don't know when it's going to happen and i don't know what form it's going to take but they've got things going on for them so as long as they continue to progress and it's this this season is so important show progression You have to progress upon what you did last year. We'll know regression when we see it. We saw regression two years ago, obviously. We'll know if we see progress 
We'll see it in the play of the offense. And I'm optimistic that they can get it done and then continue to sell your mission. There's still Mormon guys out there who think of BYU. They're extremely high on this quarterback they got out of Chandler, Arizona, who's on a mission right now. They think he's going to be something. We'll see. Quarterbacks have been hit and miss in every place, not just BYU. Obviously, they've had some number one quarterbacks who don't work, and then they've had other guys who've risen up and been pretty good. So find ways to sell your program. Find ways to loosen up the rules a little bit. Make them more pragmatic to daily life and not make it so outrageous. I mean, Gordon, I know you live the standard that is darn near perfection, but so many of us fall short. (laughs) Those of us who... Are perfect, yeah. really. Uh, right. I have a hard time putting up with people who think they are. Right, exactly. And for me, I realize, hey, I am down in the mud, and so I, <laughs> I'm, su- that. I'm surprised they even <laughs> let me on the BYU campus because I'm going down there with a pair, you know, a pack of smokes, and I always get strange <laughs> you roll them looks. Up in your t-shirts, yeah. Like- but I guess they tolerate me. PK. In the future, we'll tear apart the NBA. We'll t- tear apart the Jazz. We'll tear apart all kinds of national issues, local issues. And we'll argue a whole lot, too. So I'll look Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to arguing with you and beating you into, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> a pulp and submission to those the of point you who missed, begging uh, my mercy. Those of you who missed the draft show, uh, they missed uh, an all-time argument between people. Right. And, and the me. more I reflect upon that argument, the, the more, more I right feel like, you were. yes, <laughs> yes. So that yeah. was uh, June 20th. I remember that day because it's my wife's birthday. Uh, and so she probably yelled at you for being such a she was on vacation. So she didn't hear it. Oh, good. Uh, but a month later, I realized, man, I was there were so many more arguments. And I'm proud of myself because I took it easy on you oh, when I, you know? <laughs> I could have removed your very dignity and I chose okay. not to. That's big. That, of you, yeah. Man. Thank you. And, and yeah. that's, that's, you're a better guy than you're giving yourself. That's one of the for. things that I recognize in myself. Boy, I was really magnanimous that day because I could have shredded him to have him oh, virtually please. in tears, but I chose in not tears. to. Yes. <laughs> yes. Tears in his eyes, I guess. Yes. But I chose to allow you to feel good about yourself oh, as a human you. being, thank even you. though you knew full well, you lost that argument. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast. Yeah, we'll have to revisit that. There's there's some, like a million issues to get to. We stayed local, but we'll also hit some national stuff because I know people, we don't deal a lot in our shows nationally, but I think this is an opportunity to take it beyond what you hear on the radio. That's the intent of it. All right, there it is. Episode one in the books. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.